Well, good morning, church. Boy, hasn't it been beautiful weather? Love this. Love the color changes and uh, the temperatures and all of that. And of course, some of you may just love it to be hot. And, uh, but I just love this time of the year. My name is Randy Hunt, and I'm one of the uh, on pastoral care support team here at LEFC, and it's good to be able to uh, share with you today. I love this series, Encountering Jesus, because here's a true fact. Jesus wants to have a personal encounter with each and every one of us. I mean, you may see that... Uh, that there are things happening around you every day, but you maybe, maybe never connected to the fact that God is trying to have a personal encounter with you. So let me just ask you this question. If you were to encounter Jesus, at what personal belief might he challenge you? Let me give you an example. Let's say that you say that, well, I've been born in a Christian home. And because I've been born in a Christian home, I am a Christian. I wonder what Jesus would say to you. What about if your feeling is, is that, and hear what you believe, that you've been kind of shaped through this, through your life, that you get to heaven by being a good person. Well, let me just share with you my own personal point of an encounter I had with Jesus that turned my life around was that I could not believe that God could love me personally. That God was just for the world. That he wasn't interested in me personally. I just couldn't understand how God could love me, especially for the things that I'd done wrong. And you know, I find that I'm not alone in that. Because some people just really struggle to believe that God could forgive me for all the things I've done wrong. So whether you're in a group this setting this morning uh, away from here or you're in your car or if you're seated right here, I believe Jesus wants to speak directly to you today. To challenge you with something that you've been holding on to that has kept you from a personal encounter with him. So let me pray. Father, I believe today that there are things that you want to speak to each and every one of us. So I pray that you would give us open eyes, open ears, and open heart. Lord, I personally invite you to challenge me today. And I want to thank you already in advance for doing that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're about to experience in John chapter 6 a Jewish crowd who is going to encounter Jesus. And they are going to murmur. They're going to complain. They're going to argue. They're going to be almost in disbelief with something that Jesus says. When he said, I am the bread of life. So why would they have such a battle or a struggle to embrace that statement? I am the bread of life. 
I think to do that, we need to go back into the Old Testament. We need to be able to look at some of the things in Israel's sacred past that may help us to see how their belief has been shaped. So in Exodus chapter 16, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. They have Bibles for you if you do not have one. Make it personal. May take some things and write in the margins of the Bible. Because I really do believe this morning that God wants to speak to us. And there may be something in you re- you, that you read or something that you hear that Jesus said. Or something maybe that I have said that has caused you to consider that maybe I've been embracing something that is not true. So in Exodus chapter 16, we find they've just been out in the wilderness for over, not quite two months. And so they're at the point of desperation because there hasn't been too many McDonald's around. There hasn't been any easy place to just stop and have a bite to eat. So they're hungry. And that's how we're going to find this text. So let's read together verses 1 through 4. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Then we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven. For you, the people, are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And throughout the rest of this text, we're going to find these times when they have to every day go out in the morning and gather what has come down from heaven. Even their question is, what is it? Just like our kids sometimes ask us when we prepare something different. What is it? Can you imagine your kids responding today if every day for 40 years they got the same thing? Can you imagine us if we had the same thing every day for 40 years? No chocolate chips, no peaches, no blueberries, no bananas, no nuts. My wife tells me you add nuts to anything and it makes it healthy. So what, none of that that we can add to what's coming down from heaven to somehow change its taste. But here's the best thing about it. What he gives was sweet to the taste like a wafer. So it wasn't bland. But they were every day to go out in the morning and gather exactly what they needed for that day. No more. And they were to prepare the food for that day. And then the next day, they were to go out and do the very same thing. On the sixth day, they were to gather enough manna 
for the next day, the Sabbath day. So here they are, they go out in the mornings, they're being obedient, they're experiencing God's provision, and they are surviving because God is supplying what they need. This is just a beautiful text. If you want to understand how one can get to a place where we find ourselves in John chapter 6, can get to this place of being confused or, or, or con- concerned or murmuring or complaining about something that Jesus is saying. If you watch what this says here in, John, or in Exodus chapter 16, you will see that for 40 years their whole shaping has been taking place. And they are really learning to be dependent. Some people want to disobey. So we're going we're to kind of go out and get enough food for tomorrow so we don't have to go out and gather. But guess what? It's spoiled. It stank. Just like around here in Lancaster County when the honey wagons are out. It smelled. It turned not to the taste that God had intended it for, but it was a reminder, don't disobey what I've asked you to do. So then in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we find another foundational belief. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 3. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the teaching that they are now receiving is the fact that we're not going to live just on this man, this bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to see how that relates to Jesus when we get into John 6. Then turn with me to Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord your God, our God, nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good, for I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I commanded you. Jesus is that prophet. They're looking for a prophet who might lead them like Moses did. They're looking for maybe this constant feeding. 
So that's why when we arrive in John chapter 6 and we find that they have just experienced the feeding of the 5,000, there's a reminder that connects them back to this teaching. Because every year since they left the desert, there was a reminder that was placed in an omar, a a jar of omar of of, uh, manna. That would be a reminder for generations of what God did and how he provided. Now, when you start to see how he's connecting, that they're standing before them, these people who are going to grumble is the one who brings fulfillment to these things that they've been taught. That's why it's so hard for them to see it. So let's turn now to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we're going to find Jesus revealing so much about himself. You see, they had learned in these other texts that we had had looked at, that not only would God provide, not only would uh, man not live just on bread alone, but every word that would come from the mouth of God, and that there would one day be this prophet who would come, who God would put the words in his mouth, what they were to obey. Jesus now unfolds much of who he is. Beginning with verse 25, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, up to this point, can you just see that how that's going against some of the things where it's unfolding the teaching that they received from Moses? And Jesus said, the one who has been sent to do the work, the Son of Man, to do the work of God. In verse 28, then they asked him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? Here's a point that where the turning starts. They first had realized, how did he get here? Because he's, we saw the disciples leave on the boat, in a boat to get to the other side, but we didn't see Jesus get in the boat. So how all of a sudden can he be here appearing before us? And Jesus begins to address their motives because they, why did they come to him? <clears throat> why are they looking? Is it because they wanted something to eat? Are they thinking that maybe he is this prophet? Are they thinking that maybe he'll be a king that will somehow lead them to a better place? But I think what Jesus begins to point out is doing the work, as he said, the work for eternal life, the kind of work that is needed. And for these Jewish people, what they know to do is to obey commandments. But Jesus points, I'm not talking about these obedience to these commandments. I'm doing, I'm talking about the one work that is needed. 
the work that Jesus will do for all mankind. And what is important for us to realize is he says in verse 29 that the one work that is necessary is to believe in the one who was sent. Believe in the one who was sent. That connects to Deuteronomy. When it says there will be one who will come, who will speak, the words that God has given him. And now, he unfolds this one of believing in him. Jews start looking for signs. They've always been that way. They've always been trained to look for a sign. So a question I have for all of us this morning. What sign have you been looking for? What do you need to see in order to believe? What is it that God has to do in order for you to finally realize that he does desire to have this personal relationship with you that is very real and very personal? You see, for these Jews, they wanted to see first, then they would believe, rather than believing and then seeing. I shared with you about two years ago an encounter that I had with an atheist. And I was just reminded of this again because of the, of the text, because of, of the way in which Jesus was encountering this crowd and how he then responds, and I will show you in a little bit, how he provides with us a way to, in order to get this eternal life. But here's this atheist in the airport in Pittsburgh. He's just returning from his mother's funeral. And he struggles because he does not understand as he looks at her in this casket, how can death be, that's all there is. He said, I've been wrestling with that for a long time, as he's telling me later. So in that airport, he said, I did something that I don't normally do. He said, I just thought for a minute that if there really is a God, that he would put somebody on that plane next to me that knows him. He's looking for a sign. I prayed before I got on the plane. I said, Lord, if you are drawing somebody to yourself, if you're wanting to have this encounter with somebody that would become very real and very personal, then I pray that you would put somebody next to me on the plane. And so... By the providence of God, a believer and an atheist set together. When I shared with him, because he asked me, he said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. His eyes got large. And then he shared with me the story. I almost wanted to jump out of my seat and yell hallelujah. Because God was wanting to have this encounter with an atheist. But he wanted a sign. He wanted somebody seated next to him on the plane. And God just provided. 
So I wonder if God wants to have a personal relationship with us and he wants to encounter you at the point of which you believe. Maybe it's this belief of that I've always been a Christian. I wonder what sign, I wonder who he might provide, what he might do in order to open your eyes to his presence right there. You might even be driving down the, car, down the road and there is a sign that something that that sign says the Holy Spirit uses to prompt you to open your eyes to who he is. In verse 32, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you that it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Here he's responding to they want the sign. And so they're going back into their, their background, into their heritage, and realizing there was this manna that would come down. And so they see the feeding of 5,000, and all this is starting to unfold. This could, is God starting to do something like he did back then? And Jesus responds to him, Listen, it wasn't Moses who gave you that bread, that manna. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives light, life to the world. You know what's beautiful about this particular verse right here, verse 33, is six times in John chapter 6, Jesus says the same thing. Bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Just like those Israelites knew that bread came down from heaven, and would give them life. And so at this point, there's something that's starting to trigger in their belief system. And Jesus is going to reveal something about himself that he will do to each and every one of us at our point of belief is do you see who I am? For them, they're looking for feeding. They're looking for bread. But they're misunderstanding what Jesus is saying about bread from heaven. Just like the woman at the well that Tony talked about last week. Instead of water, Jesus now begins to identify himself as the bread of life. They, of course, are interpreting it as purely physical and not spiritual. So Jesus starts to take the motive from the Ju Judaism and begins to reinterpret it about himself. So beginning with verse 35 to verse 40, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Just for the fact he said, I am, triggered it. Because that's exactly what Moses, when he asked God, who should I say sent me? And he said, I am who I am. And John will unfold over these next several chapters six I am statements that reveals who he is, that, he, that reveals that he's God. 
or I should say seven and not the six. And I see almost two things that Jesus correct, begins to correct in their interpretation. He said, this bread is, not a person, is a person, not a commodity. So he had to change the focus from what they were looking for was something physical that now he puts it on. The bread you're looking for is a person. I am that person. And then he starts to change this, that God isn't just somebody up there or somebody that they were afraid of that came by fire. but as a God who's willing to come beside them and personally draw them to himself. And that when you receive that, which he's given, brings everlasting satisfaction that is not temporal. I wonder how many times during a day do you and I maybe see signs of God at work, but we deny seeing it. What would God have to do in order to get your attention, my attention, of how much he wants to have this relationship with us? When we start to look at verse 37 through 40, we begin to see a process for believing. It's a beautiful presentation of what it looks like for personal salvation. It unveils the, that both the divine sovereignty and the human responsibility. When you see in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up in the last day. When any of us come to faith in Christ, it's because the Spirit of God has been wooing you, drawing you to himself. I know I've heard many people say, well, I, I got a chance to lead somebody to Jesus today. I just want you to know, I want to just correct it a little bit. It wasn't you that drew him. It's God. God is pursuing this relationship with every one of us in this room. All sufficient one. He wants to provide. He wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. So he has to, to, to draw us to himself, which really kind of begins to unveil to me that sometimes... No one can come, or I should say most of the time, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws them. And when you look at verse 50 through 51, it says, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Verse 51 unveils the sacrificial gift that he will give for the whole world. And when he says we need to eat this flesh, 
He literally is just giving reference to what does it mean to believe? That you can't just sit back and examine what he's saying. You can't just smell it. But like the people in Israel learned, they had to every morning get up and go gather in order to, to eat his flesh, we need to believe that he is the one who is the giver of life. We need to come to him. We need to admit our need for him. I wonder how many things you and I place in front as more important than him. We don't trust him for everything we need every day. Other things have taken place. And he's saying if we just consume this bread, it will give us everything we need. If we just believe in him, if we just digest the teaching that he has given, he will begin to change our lives. I just thought of this week of several things. Happened to see an article that just really stimulated my thinking that when you compare Jesus to the manna that they were used to, that manna that they received only sustained the life for Jews. But Jesus gives life to the whole world. When God gave manna, he gave only a gift. But when Jesus came, he gave himself. There was no cost to God in sending the manna each day, but he gave his son a great cost. The Jews had to eat manna every day, but the sinner who trusts Christ once is given eternal life. The manna that came from heaven during the night, Jesus came to the earth when sinners were in moral and spiritual darkness. Manna was not defiled by the earth, and Christ was sinless, separate from sinners. Manna had to be taken and eaten, and Christ must be received and appropriated by faith. Manna came as a free gift, and Christ is the free gift of God to the world. Manna was sufficient for all, and Christ is sufficient for all. Manna needed to be picked up, or you would walk on it. And Jesus must be received, or you reject him and walk on him. Manna was wilderness food. And Jesus is our food in our journey to heaven. What a picture. Is Jesus all you need? Or are you looking for something else? Jesus gave his flesh for the entire world. And Jesus gives his life through his sacrifice of what he did on the cross. So that you could have life. And have it eternally. So what stands in the way? What's missing for you? I would hate to think that we would live our whole life. And when we appear before God. To give an account. And it's the old typical question I've heard for years is, if Jesus was to say to you, why should I let you in heaven? 
I hope that none of us would give answers. Well, I was born in a Christian home. Or, I've always been a good person. And to think we lived a whole life and because we did not appropriate what Christ had done for us into our lives, we have nothing to show. I would pray this morning that if there's something that the Holy Spirit of God has been speaking to you and challenging you, that you will realize he is there to start that relationship with you that is very personal and very practical. Let's pray. And before I pray, we're going to move towards communion. I just think of what you provided for us, Lord. I can't believe that sometimes I believe that I could actually earn my way to heaven. I can't believe, Lord, that I've wrestled with the fact that you don't love me because I've done too many bad things. Or this morning, Lord, I, find, I realize that I have learned to be dependent on other things rather than Christ. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that we would surrender. We would come to you and we would believe that what you did was for me, was for us, was for the whole world. I pray, Lord, for that one that you're speaking to now, that they would just stop and say, Lord, I surrender. I'm giving it to you. You're all I need. I don't need anything else. I can't save myself. I can't do anything, not one thing, other than to receive Christ and what he did for me that would get me into heaven. So Lord, today, I thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to take communion, when the disciples wanted to know, how do we pray? The one aspect of the prayer was, give us this day our daily bread. Then during communion, during that Lord's Supper, he takes bread. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And kind of in that, that holy moment, the disciples are refreshed and, re, and are remembering what Christ has been teaching. I think that's what communion allows us to do, to remember, to reflect, to believe, and to trust.
that he is the all-sufficient one. His body, his blood was for me. So why don't we just take a minute in an attitude of prayer. Why don't you do that reflecting? Be reminded anew of what he did for you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take, eat in remembrance of him. Let's take together. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood. The blood of a new covenant. No longer the need for blood sacrifices of animals. Because the shedding of blood that took place on the cross is all sufficient. So as we take and drink, let us remember of his blood that was shed for us. Let's take together. Let's stand. And let's, we're going to sing just a little bit of Jesus Messiah. Jesus. 
Jesus Messiah. Last line, and Jesus Messiah, Lord of all, the Lord of all. So Jesus is pursuing us. He wants to be all you need. So look to see how he might encounter you this week. Whether it's something you read, something you hear, or maybe it comes from a friend. That something that is said will challenge you to consider you're about to have an encounter with him. God bless you. You're dismissed and have a great week.